right. Good evening. That was, that was pretty good. That was good enough for me. Can we give it up one good time for Jesus, our King of Kings, Lord of Lords, our Savior, and our Lover? Can we do that? Nice. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to uh, the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9. It's good to be in the house of God on a Friday night. Let's try that again. It's good to be in the house of God on a Friday night. It's always the second time. I'm going to wait for that one day when I just say the first time and just somebody stands up and just says, Amen. Um, Acts chapter 9, verse 10. We will go from verse 10 to verse 19. Again, that is Acts chapter 9, verse 10 to verse 19. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be reading from the ESV. Okay. Uh, you can follow along as I read for you. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias, you, Come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call in your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Amen. Uh, I believe it is my assignment tonight to speak to you from the subject, Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Uh, parentheses, the account of Ananias. A little sophisticated title there, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, everyone say, here I am, Lord. Uh, pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word, for your living word. Uh, it is our daily bread, uh, and it is our sword. Father, we ask you tonight that you would show us Jesus that as we see Jesus, we will be transformed more into his likeness and that we will never be the same. Father, I pray that every person in here will walk out of this place with a higher view of you, uh, with a stronger love and affection burning on the inside, and God, a greater understanding of being ready and available 
for you to freely use us whenever and anywhere you desire. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I must start with a shout out because today is August 8th, right? Okay. August 8th, and uh, today is today marks the 29th year anniversary uh, of the birth of a very beautiful anointed black man uh, named Pastor Marcus Corpening. Uh, if you love him, can you show him some love? Come on. Come on, stand up, man. Stand up. I gave you a shout out. Come on. Um, he's a good friend. Um, great friend. I'm going to stop right there. Okay. All right. Um, let's look at our scripture today. So, uh, we read from verse 10 to verse 19, and it speaks of a guy named Ananias. How many of you are familiar with Ananias? Just show, show me your hands. Okay. This is not the same uh, infamous Ananias that you may think he is uh, from chapter 5, the one that drops dead for lying about uh, his money. Okay. It's not him. This is the good Ananias. Right. Um, and before we actually go deeper into the the nine, ten verses that we read, I have to introduce you to what took place right before uh, this episode. So if you read chapter 9, this is where what scholars and maybe some theologians would say the greatest conversion took place. Maybe the conversion that changed the world. Uh, it's the conversion of Saul to Paul, right? And it's quite dramatic. It's not like... He went up on an altar call, you know, worship music playing, and he's like saying a prayer, and then you know he got some counseling afterwards. This was, this was dramatic, and uh, if you know Paul, uh, this man was. Let me just. I mean, this man was bad, right? I would I would use another word to attach it right after that word if I wasn't in church, if I was just with Marcus, but he was bad, bad. He was bad. Uh, and I say that not, I don't say that lightly. I, I wouldn't say that w- about anyone in scripture, but uh, Paul, I'll just give you a brief introduction. He's bad because one, before he became the most passionate, um, faithful, and loyal disciple of Jesus Christ, he was the intense uh, polar opposite. As you may, uh, most of you may know, he was the, I would say, the greatest villain of Christianity. This guy went around uh, killing people who followed the way. Back then, they weren't called Christians. They were called people of the way. And he did this not out of being um, crazy or being a lunatic, but he did this because he firmly believed that these guys were cults. He firmly believed that Christians at the time were heretics who strayed away from Ju- Judaism, right? And he did it with all of his might and his zeal. Okay, that's pretty bad, right? But he wasn't just a crazy guy. He had all the credentials to be respected in society. Uh, he was a Roman citizen. He was from Tarsus. He graduated from the University of Tarsus. Uh, I'm not joking. It's, it's real. Um, which was probably the most prestigious institution at the time compared to University of Athens. Those two schools were like 
if you will, SNU and Yonsei. I won't say which one's better. Uh, my girlfriend graduated from SNU. Uh, I think that says it all. Okay. Um, <laughs> moving on. So he, he was very educated, very erudite. And he, uh, not only that, he was uh, a very religiously authoritative person. Uh, he was the Pharisee of all Pharisees. He was a Jew of all Jews. Uh, he was uh, trained under one of the most respected rabbis of that time. So not only was he a Roman uh, educated man, but he was also a, uh, someone respected in the Jewish circles. Right. That's why he was so adamant about keeping it pure and adulterated and believing that everyone who believed in the name of Jesus was a heretic. So you can imagine how respectable this guy is, how much power and, and how much uh, status he has. But not only that, he has favor with government officials to get their approval to execute Christians. Kind of like what we saw earlier uh, with ISIS. And... This, this guy is on his way to Damascus. And you may be wondering, why Damascus? Damascus was the place where there was a dense uh, population of Christians, Jews, who recently got converted. He was going, if you read later, in, I'll, I'll show you more in the text later, but he got the approval of the high priests to go and deport them so that he can bring them back and do the same thing that he did to Stephen, if you read chapter, I believe, 7, Stephen gets executed, and he's the one approving of it. So what's my point here? Paul is a bad man. He's gangster. And, uh, I mean, we can stop there and just say, God, I'm glad that God, our God is not someone who just goes after the nice and soft-hearted uh, with good disposition. But God goes, God likes, I think God loves to go after what we may think are the most unlikely cases of salvation. Could be your mother, could be your father, could be your brother or your sister. No, seriously. Some people here think, I don't know if my family member will ever get saved. Well, here, here's Paul of all people, and it's no wonder why make, God makes it quite dramatic. Um, now, if you look with me, I'm going to just walk you through what happens here. Uh, as Paul is going, he's on his horse, okay? He's on his horse. He's with his entourage. He's going, he's going, he's going. Jesus, who is no longer in the flesh on the earth, he's uh, been crucified, risen from the dead, and he's been seated at the right hand of God. Jesus steps out of his throne. As Paul is going, he looks down and he says... Paul, you are tripping. <laughs> you are messing with the wrong guy. That's my translation. But Jesus actually says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Uh, notice he didn't say, why are you persecuting the church or my followers or the Christians? Why are you persecuting me? Uh, another side note. If you're a Christian and you claim to be a follower of Christ, you can take heart tonight knowing that if somebody picks with you, they're picking, they're picking a, a fight with Jesus. I don't know. That, that ought to make you pretty happy. I think some people can walk out tonight with a little bit of confidence on their chest. Like, hey, don't mess with me, man. You got you to you take it up with you. As, as As he's going... 
Jesus calls out his name, knocks him off his horse. And at this point, Paul is uh, completely confused. He's blinded. Everything in his uh, sight is dark. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And after this event, what happens is Jesus, he marks Paul at this point. And not only does he mark him, but he gives him some, some way communicating to him that he will be encountered later by a man named Ananias. Okay. And this is the context where we get what we read today. We cool? Okay. Uh, let's make some observations here. If you look with me here, of all the people that God could have called to convert the baddest man, uh, the most gangster killer turned evangelist, God doesn't call uh, maybe Apostle Peter. He doesn't call James. He doesn't call uh, John the Beloved. But he calls Ananias. Uh, what do you know about Ananias? Probably not much, because he's not mentioned in anywhere else in the Bible other than Acts chapter 22, where he's just referred once as a devout man. And this man, out of nowhere, seemingly random, living in the local region of Damascus, gets appointed by God for such a time as this. And we're going to just check out briefly how he responds. And tonight, I believe what God wants to put on our hearts is how to be a person who is readily available for the Lord. To be readily available for the Lord so that you can give a response where you are saying, here I am, Lord. Not, oh, what are you calling me for? Or what is that going to entail? What about my kids? What about my finances? But starting with, here I am, Lord. So God calls Ananias, a man of relative obscurity, uh, a local of Damascus. But if you look with me to uh, verse 10. It says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Um, Ananias wasn't just a random dude. He was a disciple of Christ. He was a follower of Christ. He was somebody uh, who learned under the teachings of Jesus. And he was devoted to the way, uh, Christianity at the time. And it says, the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Um, Ananias, he could have been somebody um, just kind of wondering if this is God or not at the moment. Have you ever, like, been in a situation where you feel like you got a vision? It's like, was that a vision? Was that my imagination? <laughs> or you feel like, man, you're, you're talking to somebody and you're like, I feel like I'm supposed to say this, but I'm not sure if it's prophetic or not. Or, oh, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just, let's just hope it's, it's God. It's grace, grace, grace. Um, but here, Ananias has, seems to be like he has some kind of sensitivity and familiarity with the voice of the Lord. He just recognizes God's voice. 
He didn't say, who? Who called me? But he said, here I am, Lord. Addressing who is calling him. And if you know a little bit of Old Testament, does not those few words, here I am, Lord, four words, sound familiar to you? I hear Samuel, 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 Samuel. Yeah, Samuel. Samuel and actually Abraham. uh, And probably more. People who responded to the voice of the Lord by saying, Lord, here I am. Samuel, who grew up in the courts of the priests, gets woken up in the middle of the night and responds to the Lord and recognizes that it's God. And he goes, here I am, Lord. I think Ananias knew the Old Testament. I think Ananias was a man who understood when God calls you and you know, you recognize that it's God, you respond by recognizing, acknowledging him as Lord. Here I am, Lord. And let's, let's see what happens. And it says, the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. Okay. Rise and go to the street called Straight. As if, as if this sermon was not going to be um, good enough. I think God, God, wants, God has a sense of humor. He says, this is a street and it's called Straight. A man like Paul who was bent by religiosity, bent by self-righteousness, bent by a false understanding of the truth gets called to go to Straight Avenue. Well, Ananias is going to Straight Avenue to find Paul. Okay. I, I thought that was pretty funny. Rise and go to this street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying... And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. So we see that Ananias here gets called by God. He responds to the Lord and the Lord tells him why he has called Ananias. First thing that I've said was that he is someone who is familiar with the voice of God. But if you look again with me to Acts 22, it says... And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. This is Paul talking. And he says, And one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law. I think this is the first point we want to land, and that is he was a devout man. Um, if you want to be sensitive to the voice of the Lord, you have to be a man or woman of devotion. You cannot be sensitive to the voice of God uh, just by heightening your five senses in a worship service. You cannot become sensitive to the voice of God just by hearing a lot of sermons and podcasts. You become sensitive to the voice of God by being devout. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be devout? It means you have to have an accumulated experience accumulation of experience of being in solitude with God and in quiet, in quiet. I don't know about you, but it's, it's pretty hard for me to hear God if I'm just in a crowd or if I'm just going through my day in a busy uh, schedule of things to do. But it's solitude. In, in a time of solitude that when you take out all the 
other competitors who are coming to get your attention, but you isolate yourself, not in a weird way, okay? Don't isolate yourself. But in solitude, just to be alone with God, it's those experiences that when the time comes and God wants to get your attention, you'll be, you'll be clearly familiar that that's the Lord calling me. And you can respond and say, here I am, Lord. If you want to be someone who is readily available for God to use you, first thing, you've got to have a life of devotion. A life of devotion. Uh, number two, Ananias uh, was a disciple of utmost obedience. Ananias was a man of utmost obedience. Uh, why do I say that? If you look at it, after God calls Ananias to go down Straight Street, find Saul in a house of Judas, and pray for him, if you realize what, just take a moment here, what God is asking Ananias to do. Right? I think if, if I was Ananias, I think my response would have been, God, are you, are you sure about that? Are you serious? Uh, the guy who just killed Stephen, the guy who is uh, murdering all, all these people who uh, are my brothers and sisters, you want me to go uh, pray for him. And the Lord says, yeah. Mm-hmm. He says, well, here, here's Ananias' response. He's, here's a very honest and uh, natural human response. But Ananias, in verse 13, he says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call in your name. That's pretty honest, right? That's, that's a great place to like, man, okay, I can connect with that. <laughs> and there's some verses in scripture where it's like, immediately he said, yes, Lord, and he went. <laughs> well, this is not one of those. This is where he said, Lord, are you, are you sure? Are you serious? Uh, and he tells, he iterates all these things about Paul to God. He tells God, hey, Paul's done this, Paul's done this, Paul's done this. Are you sure? And the Lord says, in verse 14, or verse 15, sorry. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So God recommands, says it very clearly once again, that he has a mission, a clear intention of sending Ananias to Saul right now. And if you see the next response, let's see how Ananias responds. Verse 17. So Ananias departed. So Ananias departed. Uh, here's, here's the second point. Ananias was a disciple of utmost obedience. I think there's nothing wrong with first just saying, God, can you repeat yourself one time? <laughs> I think that's okay. I think there's grace for that. I don't think, th I don't think God um, has no room, no capacity to see you and meet you where you are. When we get daunted, when, get, when we get intimidated by certain things that he puts on, a, on our plate. 
But after God reminds him, tells him once again, this is why you must go, he does not say one more word. Ananias does not demand any details. Faith does not demand details. In, in just complete obedience, it says he departed. And if you can imagine with me here, uh, Ananias doesn't know where the house, where this house is, house of Judas. So I like to creatively meditate on the word of God sometimes. So when I think about it, I think Ananias probably just stepped out of his house. With, he didn't have a GPS. He didn't have Google Maps. Uh, he's probably just going. But he was a devout man. Remember that. He had a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. He's going, going, and go left. Okay. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Go left again. Okay. He's going, he's going. Okay. First right. Okay. That's Judas's house. So he gets there. And he knocks. The door opens. And out comes a man standing there, and he goes, uh, you, you Judas? Yeah, 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 I'm Judas. Hey, um, I know you don't know me, and I don't know you. This is really awkward. Uh, but is there a guy named Saul in the house? If he's not there, it's cool. It's cool. Like, <laughs> if he's not there, like, you know, I know he's bad. I don't want to pray for him if I don't have to. But if he's there, like, I'm supposed to talk to him. Yeah, 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 he's there. He's there. Uh, actually, he's, he's, just, he's just been praying all day. Uh, he seems to have trouble seeing. You want to come in? And so Ananias goes in. Um, and you can imagine just how much, uh, at this point, he's given it all. He's not considering, uh, man, what am I, what am I get myself into? But the, the, the greatest villain of Christianity is sitting in this man's living room, and he's been called by God to go and minister to him. If we really want to be uh, used by the Lord, we have to be in a posture to be ready to obey whatever the Lord asks us to do. Uh, regardless, even if we don't know the details on the outset. And Ananias could have responded in many various ways. He didn't even procrastinate. It says he departed. He went right away. He could have attended to other things. And I'm not sure if this is really God. I got I to gotta check with, you know, my, you know, my friends. I got to call my buddies. He could have done many other things, but he went right away. And here he is. He's entered the house. And you see what happens. Uh, first thing, it says... Uh, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. I think Ananias was a prophetic man. Uh, he called his enemy brother. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At this point, not only do we see that Ananias was an obedient man, can't you see that he's going in the confidence that God is with him? I think God sent Ananias because God trusted him. How do we know? Well, God told Ananias that, hey, you're going to see Paul, or you're going to see Saul, 
And he's already seen in a vision of a man named Ananias. He's talking to Ananias, and God is saying this in third person. If God had any doubt that Ananias would disobey God, why would God give Ananias that whole spiel about how he already told Paul that you're going? In third person. God tells Ananias, hey, this man named Saul saw a vision where a man named Ananias comes to pray for him. I think that's such a, such a kind of a subtle way, a hidden way where we can see God's confidence in someone. God, God totally trusted in Ananias to do this. So much that he said it and Ananias just did it. And, and I think that just speaks to just a level of spiritual uh, maturity, a place where we have come, where we have obeyed God in the little things. We've obeyed God in the things maybe that aren't so grandeur, that aren't so like, you know, let's say life-changing. Where we've accumulated a trust with God, where God knows if he asks you to either say hi to a person coming through the door on Sunday morning, or lead worship, or go on a missions trip, whatever it may be, that you'll be readily available to say yes and here we see Ananias is someone who God finds trustworthy. And, and here he is in the living room, and he says, Brother Paul. Uh, the third thing I want to mention, or as part of the second thing I want to mention about being readily available for the Lord, is that you've got to have a love for his church. You've got to have a love for the bride of Christ. And you've got to be a person of intercession, someone who prays for what is most precious to God, which is his bride, the church. Uh, if you see here, the fact that Ananias was able to say, God, this man has been persecuting your church. This man has uh, a government-certified license to now go and persecute your church. This means he's aware of what's happening in the region. He's been reading the news and he's been probably, I want to say, praying, interceding, and in his heart, suffering with the saints. He's not just somebody who's, again, living like his own Christian life, solo, somewhere random. But a man who's devout, a man who's a man of utmost obedience to God, and a man of prayer who loves the church. Okay? I have to squeeze that in there. Okay. Uh, third point. Uh, Ananias was a hero that did not need credit. Uh, Ananias was a hero that did not need credit. Isn't that, isn't that kind of refreshing when you meet someone who, uh, who serves so hard, uh, just avidly for the Lord, but they don't seem to care, care a, a zip for credit? No? <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I meet leaders who are like that, oh, I just fall in love with them instantly. When I find people who, who are so, uh, so eager to serve God, yet they're so okay with being nameless and faceless, that you go, man, they must be in love with Jesus. Like, they must have something that, that keeps them so secure, so grounded, so rooted, that they don't need to necessarily go and ask for affirmation or credit. Why do I say this about Ananias? Well, you see what happens. You know the end of the story. 
He says, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. All we hear about is Paul after this, that he was strengthened, he regained his sight. And then Ananias started his own ministry because he thought he was a great, powerful healing minister that can heal blind eyes all the time. No, we don't see that. We don't see that. Um, in fact, you don't hear about him at all after this. Uh, and I don't, I'm not saying obscurity. I'm not glorifying obscurity. You know, if God, like, you know, sometimes like God will keep you in a hidden season, but he will exalt you to use you. That There's scripture for that. I'm not saying, you know, go find a cave. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, you know. What I am saying is, are you okay if you work so hard for the Lord morning to night and you go to bed and nobody has said a word to you about, hey, great job. Or like, hey, that was awesome. Hey, that was a great sermon. Hey, that was, man, when you let praise do, oh my gosh. Or like, thank you for being such a joyful, welcoming team leader, service team leader. Will you be able to go to bed at night and rest your head on the pillow thinking, man, Jesus, you are enough. And it was such an awesome day co-laboring with you. And you are my portion. And I know, I know you're not someone who's cheap. I know you reward those who are faithful with the little. And having, living with that kind of peace and solace and confidence is so refreshing. Uh, and I think it's dire, in dire need in our age. It's such a high temptation, I think, especially even in the church, to want credit. It's so subtle. Um, but the temptation is there to... To wonder, am I being seen? Am I being heard? But Ananias seems to be someone who, who doesn't even, that's, that's all you hear of him. But who would have known that his obedience would result in an impact of someone who was a killer, a murderer of Christians, now the greatest apostle since Jesus Christ, who, wrote, who went to write the two-thirds of the New Testament, who still impacts us today. What does it say? Well, let me encourage you. This means whatever you are doing right now to serve the Lord, wherever you are, let me encourage you. If you are a Sunday school teacher, the kid that you are ministering to, that you don't see fruit in, because he don't even understand your sermon. You, if you really are a man who is, or woman who is free of the need of getting credit or seeing something to show people that there's fruit in your life, you can rest in that, man, this may result in an impact that could transform thousands upon thousands of lives. If you really believe that God is with you, you're a devout person, you spend time with the Lord, you cultivate a relationship with Him, and you're readily available to obey God no matter what He asks you, and you're a man or a woman who loves the church and you intercede for the church. And if you're free of any need for credit, I believe that God will use you powerfully and mightily for his glory. Oh, I think we can learn a lot from the example of Ananias. Um, he was a person that God could even rely on to give the name of others who really needed God at a critical moment in their lives. I believe that this is uh, something that God wants us to uh, desire.
Some of us, you know, we're so enamored with the big call. We're so enamored with the lifelong mission and assignment, and you're constantly trying to figure out, God, what is my calling? What is my calling? What is my vision in this life? That's important. Seek the Lord. That's, that's very important. You've got to seek the Lord in that. But you know that God is not someone who just gives us lifelong assignments. He gives us tasks. He gives us momentary, hey, Isaac, can I have a minute? Can I, are you available? Because Saul really needs you right now. If we get so preoccupied with the long term, we get so preoccupied with, man, the big things that I'm going to do for God, you might miss the heroic moments that God is inviting you to step into in the here and now. And maybe those moments are actually what defines who you are. You look at Ananias' life, that's the one thing that's recorded in Scripture. I'm sure he did great things for the Lord. I'm sure. He was a devout man. But none of those things are recorded in Scripture. But the one moment where God God needed someone in Damascus, it says he was a disciple in Damascus. Paul was going to Damascus. God, it, it says in Scripture, Second Chronicles 16.9, God is looking to and fro throughout the earth. Literally, he's just looking to fro throughout the earth. Because why? There's so, much, there's so much kingdom that needs to be established everywhere throughout the earth. So God is going, who's in Damascus? Who's in Seoul? Who's in Libya? Who's, let me, I need you. But if everyone in those places are concerned about, man, how can I be big? How can I make some kind of achievement? How can I, because I'm so insecure. I'm so not sure about God's love towards me that I'm always questioning every day. I'm, I'm stressed <laughs> about my future, my future, my future. When God is saying, hey, I don't need some kind of superstar celebrity Christian. I just need a, a simple Ananias. If you are readily available. And I will use you to change the life of man who will go ahead to change the world. So I've, I, I've just given you a very um, simple illustration of the story of a man by the name of Ananias. But here's the drive home point. Are you ready to say, here I am, Lord, in any moment and situation? Or are you going to be picky about what God calls you to do? Or are you going to be saying, God, if you're calling me to do this, man, I think I can get excited. I think I can get excited. Amen? Uh, Let's all stand. I'm going to invite the praise team. And just going to give you a chance to respond, and then we'll go into a time of worship. Uh, some of you may feel like, man, um, I don't know if I have uh, the sensitivity that you mentioned about Ananias, Isaac. Uh, I don't know if I have the guts to obey God for everything and anything. Uh, maybe some of you feel like how I feel right now, a little bit dry spiritually. Just like, man, that time of worship earlier tonight was like a fountain of life. 
Okay, just me. Okay, just me. Uh, but even in the dry season, saying, Lord, I don't put up the closed sign. I don't put up an unavailable sign. Because maybe my availability is what will allow the flow, the living water of God to flow into my life again. I think some of you guys have been um, just overly concerned about your ability. How much is in your hands? How much can you do? Can God really use me? But again, we see through the account of someone named Ananias, what God is looking for is readily available people who are just saying, God, I'm going to live faithful. I'm going to live before your eyes. If people don't notice me, it's all good. It's all good. If I don't, if I don't feed and live on the praises of man, I won't die when that's absent. I live on your eyes. I literally live, I get energy from your eyes, your attention, and your noticing of me. And God, I want to be ready. I want to be ready to do whatever you call me to do, whether big or small. I want to be a hero that does not need credit. I don't want to be a celebrity Christian. I want to be, God, a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to give you a moment to respond as praise team prays. Uh, I just want to pray for a few people. If you feel spiritually dry, uh, you just feel like, man, I, 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 I can't even do step one. I can't even get devotion down. I can't even do being consistent you know, with God just in my devoutness. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. Not because I've arrived, not because I have it all good. But I'm saying, I'm going to pray that God responds to us tonight as we approach Him in hunger. And saying, God, God, it's been a while. God, I miss you. God, I want to reconnect with you. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, readily available first and foremost, just to be with you. Just to be with you. I'm going to lay down all my other agendas, all the things I have to say to you. And I just want to say, Jesus come back into my life. I'm coming back to the place of worship. I'm coming back to the place of first love. I'm coming back to the place of knowing I'm secure and whole and full in you. God, you are the portion and the strength of my heart. If that's you, I'm going to invite you just to the front. Come on up. Just come on up. And for the rest of you, just go ahead and respond and connect with the Lord. Just right over here to the right side of the stage.